As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Lot of Dudes podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsiders.com and Armchair Media. Season 4, Special Edition Quarantine Episode 1. Matt and Matt are officially back on the mic to recap an eventful offseason. Even while under lockdown, the first five months of the Halfley era have been busy, and the get-in movement is in full effect. On today's episode, we'll break down the new coaching staff, lighten it up on the recruiting trail, highlight a couple of eags landing in the pros, maybe talk a little hoops, maybe not, and then explore some of the COVID-19 implications for BC this fall. Matt, it's great talking with you again. Uh, I know it's been a while since we've gotten on the mic to discuss all things Eagles, and a lot has happened in the BC universe despite a uh, complete shutdown in, in all other parts. A little, uh, a few housekeeping notes before we get started, first and foremost. Obviously, hope everyone is is safe. Shout out to all of the first responders, uh, your fiance, we have a number of friends, you know, doctors, nurses, whatever, a lot of Eagles in the medical field, so shout out to all of them. Uh, hopefully, we can give you guys kind of an hour of, of football talk, and we can pretend like everything is normal for a little bit, which I think will be good for everyone's sanity while we're under lockdown here. Uh, apologies in advance for some of the audio. Again, it's a road game for myself. I have quarantined out of the uh, very populated New York City up to Charlestown, Rhode Island. So I do not have our best equipment. So apologies in advance there. Uh, Matt, anything else we need to apologize for kind of ahead of time? Or is that kind of cover the housekeeping notes? No, I think that covers most of it. I mean, obviously, you guys know the drill, like stay safe and avoid you know, social interactions, all that. Hopefully you're not getting, you know, your, your social distancing advice from us. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously, you know, patronize local businesses, all the other talking points. Um, and like Matt said, certainly shout out to all the first responders and everyone keeping us safe in the, in the medical world and otherwise. So um, shout out to all those guys. No yeah. ads this week, Matt. Well, right? no no ads officially. Yeah, we're kind of with our with our guys at Armchair. They're working out some some new advertisers. So we're in a little bit of a, of a, uh, a, a valley of ads, so to speak. Um, but we should have some more starting next week. I think we literally just picked like the one bad time, the one bad week to do it. So that's on us. And then Matt, the other thing I do want to note, uh, I know it's been kind of kicked around on Twitter a, a little bit over the past couple weeks, months. The title of the podcast, A Lot of Dudes, that could be up for discussion at the owners meeting over the summer. So we're still recording under A Lot of Dudes as of today. But again, some things possibly could change with the changing of the guard of the program and all that. So, you know, by no means are we locking uh, anything in yet. Again, just want to get that out of the way. And then that final thing, again, then we can actually talk football. Sorry about your bachelor party uh, being canceled. That kind of stinks for for all of us, obviously you specifically, but it stinks for for me as well and everyone else who's going to be on it. Yeah, and the wedding too. The wedding. Uh, yep, also, the wedding. Minor, minor yep. detail there. Um, you know, obviously everyone's got their entire plans canceled for, you know, this six or six or so month period. So, um, you know, we're all in this together is what it is. And, uh, you know, at this point, just crossing our fingers that football season is actually going to happen on that note, Matt, unless you've been living under a rock, let's, let's start with recruiting because BC and coach Jeff Halfley 
have been absolutely lighting it up on the recruiting trail. It seems like once a day we get a new recruit that's at least three stars that commits to this program. Um, you know, last week in particular, we had a 24 hour stretch where we had, I think it was six different guys in a one 24 hour period. That Can I make a little, like it just like almost a frustration. Like it's kind of, I can't keep up. And it is, I know this is like a rich get richer, kind of a, a stupid thing to complain about, but it eventually it, it's kind of hard to stay on top of this now. It is. And that's something maybe we reach out to Jill Sullivan, uh, recruiting coordinator, because it seems like, you know, it comes in it, like he, he tweets out eight different Rick Ross gifs in a row. Is it gifs or gifs? I, I think, think it's, it's officially gifs, but that's yeah, like a five year old argument. So let's not waste too much time on that. <laughs> but and it's like everyone Internet goes crazy scrambling to find out who it is. And um, I don't know. It's all good news. And, and, you know, these aren't just in the recruiting ranking show this right as it stands today, as of today, May 9th. The class of 2021, we're currently ranked 35th in the country, 6th in the ACC. Um, you know, this is obviously a, a pretty sharp contrast compared to the you know, years past where we typically float around the, I don't know, 70 range nationally and then 13th or 14th usually in the ACC. So, you know, we know that these recruiting rankings, A, are a perfect science. And Matt, you're a math guy. I'm an accounting Correct. guy. Yep. It's, it's nuts, at least to me, that they can't figure out sort of a uniform weighted average system because currently it's just based on like total volume of recruits. But anyway, that's besides the point. The point is we're getting legit guys. They have legit offer sheets. And, you know, you and I remember from the Spaz days and some of the Daz guys as well. You look at the offer sheets, and it's typically you're competing with Buffalo and Kent State and, you know, UConn, right? And now we're competing against Power 5, Tennessee, Maryland. Um, you know, Jalen Cheek even picked up, I think it was a, was a Penn State offer. Penn State, so, Baylor, there was a Florida. So one of the guys had Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the, the key takeaway. I mean, to your point about the the flaws in the recruiting rankings, I mean, I, I think that it's like a cool thing to get excited about that we're ranked 35, but you also can't take too much from that, I'm sure, with some of the early Adazio classes. We were high up, you know, within you know two years uh, before things are actually signed. But again, the key is, is that we're looking at who we're getting guys over, where Again, you know, Daz did a good job of getting us out of the Spaz basement where we were beating guys, you know, from Stony Brook and UConn. Daz got us to beating guys like Syracuse and Pitt. And now, again, now we're always beating those peer programs of a Syracuse and Pitt. But then we're also beating some of these big shots as well. So huge momentum on on every single side of, uh, you know, that you could possibly look at it. And I do think it speaks a lot to the coaching staff that Halfley has put together. I know we're going to touch on kind of, you know, some of the some of the pieces of the coaching staff in mass in a little bit but I think the you know the main guy that jumps off the page right away is coach Abdul Rahim the defensive backs coach with all of his DC connections is like legitimately become overnight one of the best recruiters in the country uh, I shouldn't say overnight because I'm sure he has a great recruiting pedigree anyways but at least from our perspective he's come in and just completely changed the way that uh, or changed the type of guys that, that we get uh, and we go after yeah and that's it's evidenced by I think it's five out of the nine guys currently committed for 2021 or defensive backs so you know it's a pretty strong evidence there that you know recruits are hey looking at coach Halfley's track record right you know you see Jeff Okuda go number three overall in the draft right um, combine that with coach uh, AR we'll call him he's known as a, rel- a rel- relentless recruiter and you know he, he's just absolutely dominating the uh, the greater DC and Maryland area so it's nice to see that you know recruits are obviously buying into BC as a viable path to the NFL yeah and I think the other one I do want to highlight we got a kicker which is great uh, more importantly than well not more importantly equally important to us getting a kicker we, you and I, fourth and dude, has a kicking source. Um, this guy just like randomly will, will pop into our DMs every now and then when, when a kicker kind of comes on BC's radar, gives us excellent scouting reports, excellent videos. And his report, this guy seems to be like the preeminent uh, kicking expert in the country, says that we basically got the best kicker that we possibly could get. He has the, what, is, what did he say? He has the highest ceiling and the highest floor. 
which I guess, yeah, so that's great, right? Something like that, so. Um, I think it was the highest floor. Yeah, he's a very okay. safe option, I think. Right. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with which that, is, right? Which that's is what a good thing. Want. Our best yeah. kicker in the last decade was, you know, Steve Apinavichus. Well, that's not, I mean, Nate Freeze at his best was better. I, I, I forgot but about yes, Nate. Yes, you did. I, well, I mean, at least, you know, Steve didn't miss against Duke like Nate did, but we won't talk about that. Fair. Um, but yeah, obviously, we don't even have to belabor the point. Everyone knows the kicking issues that we've had at this point. And it does seem like we do get the number one rated kicker every year. So I'm a little bit <laughs> one of them skeptical. Is bound to, one of them is bound to pan out, it feels like. Yeah, but. I'm a little bit skeptical of the kicker rankings in particular. But you figure just, you know, roll the dice. One of these guys has to hit eventually. So looking forward to that. Um, so that's recruiting. Obviously, it's all positive right now. A lot can change. It is early, especially, you know, I think we talked about the, you know, there's one 2022 recruit that we just nailed to who picked BC over A&M and, and Florida, like you mentioned, Matt. And, you know, guys like that, obviously, that's a lifetime away. And a lot of these guys haven't even seen campus yet, given, you know, the lockdown situation that we're in. So, you know, a lot of the experts think that this could be a year where we see a lot of decommits. But, you know, certainly, you know, nothing too uh, there's no downside, I guess, to getting a lot of momentum early on like this. Yeah, and I, the other thing I, I do want to know too, it feels like from, so we were on the uh, Jeff Halfley donor call, not a big deal, my $10 annual donation to get the free pair of socks is paying dividends. Uh, we were on the call with him on Tuesday, and one of the main takeaways was just how well he and his staff are, are kind of leaning into the virtual recruiting, you know, Zoom recruiting uh, trips, et cetera. And I think it you know, speaks to probably the fact that they're a younger staff and just more comfortable with the t- technology, but they've really done a great job with that. A lot of the comments from recruits have been how comfortable the staff has made them feel in this uncertain time. I mean, even saying things that like, you know, are crazy, but it's like, Coach Halfley is the only one who is FaceTiming me. Everyone else is just, you know, whatever, either calling or sending emails, things like that, which is so insane. It just feels so antiquated and such an easy thing to do. Um, And then Halfley on the other side is basically saying that, you know, he's not taking this as an excuse to not, you know, really dig into the person's character. He's saying, like, he notices right away, is the person sitting with good posture? Um, Are they on their phones? Like, do do they seem like a BC guy? So overall, I think he is absolutely maximizing this, incredibly unique challenge that is thrown in front of everyone across college football, but he's done an excellent job with it. I'm with you. Like this is a completely uncertain time. Um, but I think he, he and the staff are doing everything possible to squeeze the most juice out of it. Right. And I think coaches just have more time than, than they know what to do with. You know, they're used to running around and, you know, addition to practice and, and lifting and, you know, all the commitments they have, the media, all that, uh, you know, speaking to donors, going to events, all that stuff is shut down. So all you have to do is sit at home, watch film, you know, certainly talk to your current players, but also, you know, you have time to recruit now. So uh, speaking of that, I don't think we've done a deep dive and we haven't been on the mic in a few months here, but I don't know if we ever did a full breakdown of the coaching staff. So I do just want to highlight some of that. I know this this news is a few months old here, um, but you know, as we are gearing up for hopefully what will be a football season, um, we do want to talk about some of the guys that Coach Halfley has brought in. And so I, I want to start with the offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti Jr. When he was initially hired in January, I, I don't want to say underwhelmed was the right word, but a lot of us just didn't know who the guy was. So, you know, you start out, it's like, all right, you know, what has he really done lately? Where's he been? Why have we heard him? You know, why isn't he, you know, the uh, quarterback assistant coach that's, you know, working for the Rams type of thing, right? But you start to look at Signetti's resume and it's pretty impressive. So he and Halfley crossed paths back in the day at Pittsburgh and Rutgers, I think he, he coached back in, I don't know, UNC and Fresno State way back in the day. And he's, you know, he's had pretty explosive results wherever he's gone. I think it was 2011 when he was at Rutgers. There's a fun fact here, Matt. He was the offensive coordinator at Rutgers in 2011 when Mohamed Sanu set the Big East receiving record with over 1,200 receiving yards. 
Needless to say, we haven't had a receiver that has cracked a thousand yards since maybe ever. Needless Pete to Mitchell. say, by the way, needless to also say that Mohamed Sanu has uh, not had that production since he was at uh, under Signetti as well as, as Patriots fans know, but it's, we'll continue. It's good, that's a good point. And you know what? Mohamed Sanu's last name is backwards, right? It sure is, Matt. It sure is. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so more recently, uh, Signetti's worked as the quarterback coach uh, with the Giants and Packers. So, you know, he's, he's obviously been involved with some pretty good programs, some pretty good quarterbacks, uh, I guess average quarterbacks with Eli Manning, and then Aaron Rodgers, obviously, as well. Um, and it was actually rumored that he was deciding between the Cowboys job that opened up uh, as quarterbacks coach. He was deciding between that and then the BC offensive coordinator job, which he ended up taking. So, you know, like I was saying, not the flashiest hire on paper, but I think like you and I talked about early on, I think this is probably what the doctor ordered. It sort of allows Halfley to focus on the defense while Signetti can leverage 30 years of experience to run the, the offensive side of the house. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think that I'm with you in that. I think it was, it seemed underwhelming, but I also feel like, to be honest, that's almost like an ageism perspective from, from our, you know, from, from our side. We saw, we got this young, you know, hotshot new coach who was hiring all these, you know, young assistants. And now we brought in, you know, kind of the, the older guy. I think it lacked a little of that excitement, but I'm with you once you actually dig into it and kind of look past age, which we all know is just a number, especially as, you know, you and I climb into our thirties. Uh, it's, it's nice to see that, you know, he still is going to bring that to the table. And then on the other side of the ball on the defense, side of the ball where we did stay young uh, we have uh, coach Lukabu kind of leading the defense as the defensive coordinator he was the linebackers coach for the Bengals last year he's been in the NFL he's been in college he's kind of bounced around uh, Mississippi State etc so he's got a lot of experience at a lot of high level uh, football you know at high levels of football 2018 in Mississippi State they led the nation in fewest points allowed amassed 36 sacks so I think there's a lot to be excited about there he's a northeast guy I believe I think he went to Colgate, Colgate, I want to say one of the, yeah one of those uh, NESCAC schools. Um, so I think that you know again we we talk all the time about the the you know whole BC allure of of a big piece of our recruiting pitch needs to be kind of how special of a uh, place Boston is the Northeast you know the, the university itself. So I do think taking a guy with kind of Northeast experience you know will will certainly uh, you know be able to pitch to that side of things as well. Yeah, he's got a wild backstory too. I think his dad and I'm going to screw this up, but I think his dad was the United Nations ambassador for the. Democratic Republic of Congo. I think I actually got that right. Um, and so he moved to Jersey, you know, early on in his childhood and, you know, was a big soccer guy. I listened to him on, on a, the Perch podcast, which is which is pretty solid, um, even though they're our competitor, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's by all accounts considered a rising star in the industry. And it, it makes sense, right? Because Halfley's going to have his fingerprints all over this defense. So, um, you know, it, it, it makes sense to sort of not take a flyer necessarily, but you have more risk on, on that side of the ball to work with because Halfley is, um, you know, obviously such a stud. And he's been a lieutenant to Halfley. I think they work together with San Fran. And, you know, he's, he's got a talented room to work with. I mean, we got playmakers coming back. I know statistically um, you know, it, did, it wasn't pretty last year, but we do return a lot of talented guys. We got, you know, Sax Richardson, McStuffie, John LaSWAT. You know, that's just the linebackers, right? I mean, we got a ton of playmakers. and we'll uh, Certified you know, we'll, public we'll, sack accountant. That's right. My, he's my guy, by the way. Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll you're an accountant, this, right. We'll save this for the future future episodes, but he's my breakout dude uh, in, in 2020, uh, Marcus Valdez, certified public accountant. We'll get to all that later. We'll do the whole depth, depth chart game and uh, break down the schedule, all that, probably a future episode. Um, but point is, I, I really like the hire. I think Teb's got a ton of potential. 
Um, and I think they're, you know, him and Halfley are going to be a lethal combination. Agreed. And then I think it does segue nicely to the defensive backs, kind of how you're saying how Halfley will have his fingerprints all over this, but he's still bringing in guys who, you know, have been around the game for a long time, are very smart, excellent recruiters, but also good, you know, football coaches and developers of talent as well. So that leads us to Coach AR, uh, the D-backs coach. Again, I think his his biggest takeaway is that he's a, a stud recruiter going back to when he was in Maryland, was, you know, consistently ranked in the top 25 as a recruiter by, you know, 24-7. So I think with him and Halfley on the defensive side of the ball, the upgrade of the talent pool is going to be absolutely remarkable. We are already seeing it, you know, within just a couple of months of them together. So I, I really do hope that, you know, he sticks around. I know with, with assistance, you never know. It's kind of a revolving door at times. But if he sticks around, I think that they can absolutely build a, you know, an outrageous uh, talent of, of the defensive backfield here in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been he's made such an impression that I'm almost scared we're going to lose him. You know, he's gonna he's gonna go to. A it's such a school. it's such a weird it's such a weird problem to have. I mean, it's a good problem to have overall, but like it's it's frustrating, right? It's like I mean, you want to have assistant coaches, and we say the same with Adazio as well. You want to have assistant coaches who are poached by other programs, but that doesn't make it any any easier either. Yeah, I will say, and this was a report by uh, by two four seven, but basically, you know, Halfley has room in the budget. Uh, you know, based on conversations between MJ and Leahy. So if it does get to that point, you know, we can we can increase the assistant pay pool, it sounds like. I do want to note on that as well, because I, I, I'm very confused with you. I don't know when we talked about all this stuff uh, last. We haven't podcasted in a while. But uh, yes, that absolutely is the report, is that MJ has finally convinced Father Leahy basically to, to see the light that is athletics and, and just how valuable athletics can be to the university as a whole. And, you know, with that, Leahy has basically approved the uh, opening of the purse string, so to speak. I think the report with when Campanelli was being pitched as the defensive coordinator, the numbers that we were throwing out for, again, essentially an unproven defensive coordinator. We all love Campanelli around here. He's a great recruiter, but we were throwing out, I think, like a million dollar salary for a defensive coordinator, which, you know, in the grand scheme of college football is, is obviously not absurd. At BC, that is absurd. We don't pay our assistant coaches, especially one with, with no defensive coordinator experience, right? It's not like we're bringing, you know, Don Brown back even. So clearly the the writing is on the wall that, you know, the the bank is open, which I think is a good thing. And I'm with you. I think that it could be a sign that we actually can hang on to some of these guys, you know, which is a key to kind of developing our program to the next level rather than being a flash in the pan, a couple of good things, but then, you know, guys move on to their next opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And I was just going to say too, I mean, MJ has plenty of ammo to go to, go to Father Leahy and say, Listen, you got to increase the budget because, you know, look at Ryan Day, look at Don Brown, look at Campanelli. These are guys that we physically could not hold on to. And that's why, you know, we go seven and seven every year, seven and six every year. Um, and because these guys leave for greener pastures, become studs, and they should have been with BC, but is what it is. So uh, one other coach I do want to hit on is, and we won't go through all of them, but uh, Matt Applebaum was the offensive line coach. And I think this is an interesting one. This is another one where it's kind of like, all right, you know, he came over from Towson. So the initial thought is like, yeah, all right. Um, but I do want to note that, you know, we said the same thing last year, or was it two years ago? Whenever Phil Trotwine came over from Davidson, um, you know, obviously from an FCS program, we we're like, yeah, who's this guy? We sure we want to do this. And then we saw what he did. He oversaw one of the top offensive lines in the country and then got poached by Penn State, another guy that, you know, got saw a nice payday. So, um, you know, obviously on the offensive line, we got one of the best guy, uh, best units in the country, a ton of returning talent. Uh, we get some top recruits coming in, so I think we'll be fine there, but it's something to watch for. Obviously, that was Daz's wheelhouse, and something we potentially took for granted was just how consistent the O-line was most years, so something to watch for there, Matt. Yeah, I agree. I think with that, you want to segue into the uh, into the actual players, move kind of out of the coaches' room? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, the, the key would be to talk about the transfer portal. Uh, Matt, as, as they say, the transfer portal giveth, but the transfer portal also taketh away. They do um, say that. what many people have been saying. So while we did lose Anthony Brown to Oregon, which, by the way, good for him. Um, I think we, great, we great all have... Him. I think we and, all have nothing but you know love for AB and, and absolutely. And now we have, a Pac, we have a Pac-12 team to root for. Exactly, which is great. Pac-12 after dark is is just like phenomenal football. Um, so that is exciting. And again, I think he will do very well out there. Clearly has all kinds of talent. I just you know feel like it kind of was whether it was injuries or, or kind of wrong place, wrong time, just never really worked out for him here to the full extent. We obviously had some great moments with them. Either way, the uh, net positive for the Eagles is again getting our guy Jerkovich. The, I'm going to have the hardest time in the world pronouncing his name, by the way, over the course of this year. I think it is officially Jerkovic, but Jerkovic just feels like what it should be, right? Does, like that rolls yeah. off the town, the tumble. Either way, um, I'm psyched about this guy. I know that you might have some differing thoughts in a second, but I think that he is an absolute stud, both from his recruiting time. Obviously, he didn't really get a chance to, to shine at, at Notre Dame, um, just, you know, from the fact that basically how the depth chart looks, we still have no idea about the waiver and, and what that's going to look like. So obviously there is a lot that's hanging in the balance there and a lot of unknowns kind of adding on top of the uncertainty that we find ourselves in already. Uh, but that would be an absolutely huge coup for us if we can get him going right out of the gate, just having a, a proven isn't the right word because again, experience wise at the NC at the you know NCAA level, he obviously doesn't have a lot of experience yet, but I think from talent alone, that would just be a massive upgrade compared to what we um, you know, otherwise have in that in that QB room right now. Uh, you butt your tongue about my guy, Denny Pancakes. Denny Grissel's my guy. Maybe that's why I, I'm not as enthused as everyone else. And that's not to say I'm not enthused because I think it's great. And obviously he's talented and, you know, was a, was a you know, stud recruit coming out of high school. And that's all great. Um, and it's too bad. Matt and I had a, had a very spirited debate uh, a couple weeks ago offline about uh, the impending quarterback battle between Dennis Grossell and Andrejkovic. Um, so, but, but anyway, it's not that I don't like the guy. It's just, I don't, it, may, it might be a Notre Dame thing. It might be the fact that his girlfriend goes to BU and that's why he transferred here. And, you know, there's a lot of red flags. He, he didn't look great in practice. Uh, in the what do you mean? Game. That's, I, first of all, he looked fine in practice. Like, it, no, I mean, it, in Notre Dame practice. There okay. was a report about the Notre Dame spring game where he had no clue what was going on. Um, so, so that type of things. I'm just not ready to crown him as the starting quarterback. We have a very talented room. I'm hoping that I disagree Denny, with that, but okay. I'm hoping that I mean we do. We get we have we have studs in there. When you talk about Sam Johnson, who's just as much proven as Djokovic is, by the way, neither of them are. Um, you got my guy Matt Valici, and then you got Danny Grissel, who beat them all out. And it, to me, obviously his stats weren't great last year, but. If you look at the eye test, he had a lot of really, really good throws. Look, and he's a gamer. And if he take, if he, I would love for him to make a jump. And here's the other thing too, Matt. You know, with the shortened off season, he's going to have the reps, right? He's got the experience with with the first team, and it's going to be di- very difficult at this point for Jerko to get in there. And you know, he, he like he's not going to have any compatibility with uh, uh, Kobe or Zay like Grissel showed. You know, by the end of last. Let's year. be let's be very clear. We. Are very appreciative, and I say we, the royal we, kind of the entire BC universe. You don't sound appreciative, are we? We are incredibly appreciative of what Dennis Grossell did to this team when he was called in, kind of, you know, with, with I'd say, out of nowhere uh, last year when AB went down. He played his ass off game in, game out. The guy is absolutely a gamer. He's not afraid to take a big hit, all of that good stuff. He's a phenomenal eagle on and off the field. I mean, uh, I can't say enough good things about Grossell and, and what he put forth from an effort Man, perspective. There's a big, big butt coming. There is, an, there is a massive butt coming here, Matt. <laughs> Dennis Grissel is not 
in no way, shape, or form a Division One quarterback. And that's just oh, the shut up. That's and that's just the reality. I love the guy. He plays hard, but he is a preferred walk-on for a reason, and that's kind of the bottom line. Okay, I, I mean, agree to disagree there. He he showed a bunch of flashes when he was thrust into game action for the first time, and I think he's it's tough. Pretty... You can't deny his toughness. You can't even probably deny his field vision, God, things like that. But God he just doesn't have hit. he doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have things that you need to be an ACC quarterback. Matt, you're not going to win the ACC with Dennis Grossell under center. I just just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Yeah, but think about what we asked him to do last year. You know, the D was letting up 30, 40 points a game. I mean, sure, he, he yeah. kept us in a ton of those games, and he had great games against, you know, Louisville. He we got scored one. We, scored, we, scored one we, sco- we, got, we got on the board once against Notre Dame. I mean, you know, Syracuse, was- NC State. Anyway, I mean, this is going off the tracks already here. But my point is, Djokovic sounds great on paper, and maybe he will be great, and maybe I'll be, you know, eat my words. But all I'm saying is, you know, let the quarterback competition play out. And let's see what happens. Maybe some other guy emerges. Maybe Valici emerges. Maybe Sam Johnson puts on the weight. He emerges. We get a couple other guys. Uh, Menard's another name that's, you know, looked good in practice. So um, I'm just saying it's anyone's job. We'll start the right guy. And obviously Halfley will do that. And um, Signetti is considered a great QB developer. So he will get the right guy, develop him, build him up, and we'll have a great offense. I'm, I'm sure of it. So. I, I agree with that. I do want to throw one note in here as well. Uh kind of a shot across the bow of our guy of our guy Jason Baum who tweeted this is like probably like two months ago at this point he tweeted like a very cryptic gif uh I forget exactly what the what the message was it was something about like oh I love it when like a plan you know like a plan comes together or something good news related and he might even toss like the eye emoji in there and everyone was like oh my god does this mean like Jericho has the waiver like all this stuff whatever he was silent and then like 24 hours later he's like no it's just like I love this gift from it's like you know from one of my favorite tv shows or something like that this is not a time to be kind of messing with us like come on JB we love you like we're, we're massive JB fans we can't be clearing up about that but come on man like this is not the time to be playing around with us like that yeah and I think that's he's just playing a game and that's all it is and he's he holds the power, and with great power comes responsibility. And he's just you know screwed around with us. I, I think you know you gotta keep keep everyone on their feet in the off season, especially with no sports going on. So I appreciate that from JB. I think that's just guys being dudes right there. Oh, we don't say that. We anymore. don't say that anymore, just Matt. Yep. Guys, just guys getting in there. Guys getting in. Um, do you want to touch on the uh, Buffalo defensive transfer we got as well? I will defer to you on the name pronunciation here. Yeah, I have in my notes here actually, Matt. That obviously the big name and the transfer portal is Jerkovich. But no one's talking enough about the two transfers that we got, Deion Jones from Maryland, and then I'm not even going to try to his name, uh, Chibizi on Wuka. I actually Buffalo. think that was good. I think it was pretty good. Yeah. I think it was as good as it, as it could have gone there. Um, so Jones was a, a former four-star recruit. Uh, he, was a, he was a safety for Maryland, um, has a ton of big game reps, and you know, he's got a good chance to compete for the starting job alongside Mike Palmer. That's obviously a position in need. Um, so looking forward to there and he's got, uh, connections with, with coach AR. So that's huge. And then on Wuka was, you know, he's, he's a Buffalo guy, right? But he's just this enormous guy, 300 pounds, another position, a need D tackle that can certainly fill the gaps there. And he was, he was, you know, a third team, all Mac performer. So, you know, he's got experience. And then with, with Carafa graduating, we need some experience. We need some depth there. So, um, I'm looking forward to having his veteran presence, so overall, like you said, it does the, the portal does giveth and taketh away, but I think we came out net positive there overall. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. I fully expect to. I mean, beyond just the some of the transfers, or I mean, I guess the the one grad transfer we got on the on the uh, D back side of the ball, I do think uh, that the our secondary is going to take massive steps forward this year. And obviously, a lot of that is halfway, but I think even just the talent alone, like I expect overall massive uh, a massive growth and ability there. Which I mean, you're pretty much going from even if we go from you know zero to twenty, um, that will I think be a huge step up for the defense. Uh, you know, as a whole. Agree. 
Um, all right, what's up next here? Uh, let's talk draft. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the featured story obviously goes without saying, A.J. Dillon. So he had a huge combine, as, as we all know, although we haven't, again, talked about it on the podcast uh, since it happened, but massive combine and ended up being drafted 62nd overall in the second round to Green Bay. Uh, really did shut up all the haters. I wouldn't say we were haters, but I think we w- would both say that we were shocked that he went that high, um, which is awesome. Like, I think most people were mock drafts or had him in like fourth or fifth round. So him going to the second round is just absolutely uh, phenomenal. I think he'll fit in very well in the, you know, NFC North, even if you're just going kind of NFC North stereotypes of just kind of hard hitting football, smash mouth football, those cold days in Lambeau, etc. Uh, and again, you know, I think it's important to note that we saw the damage he did with a team with, you know, a, a limited passing game. So you had stacked boxes. Now when he is, you know, lining up behind one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the country and, and one of the best passing offenses in the country, he's not going to have nine guys locked in on him. I'm very excited to see what he can do. And, you know, the other thing too, I know a lot of Green Bay fans at the you know time of the pick were not thrilled because they're like, hey, we have these two great, you know, young running backs. What's the deal here? They're not going to be able to sign. They're both free agents after next year. They're not going to be able to keep both of them. So at a minimum, you know, AJ will be uh, the backup uh, next year, if not, you know, taking over for the starter. So super excited about what he's going to be able to do. Apologies in advance to our uh, legal correspondent, a big Bears fan. Uh, stinks to be him for now. Like, what is that? Like the 15th year in a row um, <laughs> outside of the one, the, the one Cutler flash in the pan. But yeah, I think that's a phenomenal spot for Dylan. And I, I really do think he's going to uh, excel and, and have an excellent uh, career. Yeah, no question. And I, I think all the, the negativity, whether it was, you know, slating him as a fourth or fifth rounder or even the Green Bay F- Packers reaction, I think that's just you know, the inherent bias against Northeast football and, you know, AJ Dillon didn't get necessarily get the accolades he deserved for all the yeoman's work he was doing. Uh, you know, obviously, like, like you were saying, I mean, he had literally at least nine guys at all times locked in on him. So, um, you know, if you look at his yards per carry, maybe it's not as good as it looked, but if you watch the games, then, you know, you realize he's a game changer. So no question, you know, he could very well be the next Eric Henry. Um, so that's great to see. I do want to highlight, unfortunately, that was the only Eagle that got drafted, um, but I do want to highlight Jake Burt, who got picked up by the Pats, and you know how, how cool is that? Local kid from Linfield, playing for the hometown team. Um, he is a St. John's prep guy, so I'll give, I'll give him a pass for that. It's not ideal. Um, but it sounds like Belichick's pretty serious about it, too. Adam Schefter reported that yeah, I think he got 80K in guaranteed money, which is one of the higher... Uh, on the higher end for, for undrafted tight ends. So um, sounds like Belichick has, has a plan for him. And, you know, it would be great to see him lining up. It would be great to see him and uh, Tommy Sweeney going at it, a little tight end. That would be a lot. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And so, I mean, the Pats obviously loaded up on tight ends uh, over the course of this draft and then kind of the post-draft as well. So kind of trying to recreate the, I'll say, on-the-field aspect of the uh, Gronk-Hernandez duo. So hopefully things go, uh, go better for uh, everyone in this situation now. But, yeah, I think it is an awesome spot. I'll say as well. Well, you know, with with all of the Brady news, especially things are not as bright in Patriots land as as they ha- have been for the you know previous 20 years. I think that uh, it's a tough schedule, especially you know back to back games in L.A., etc. Things might not be great for the Pats this year. I think like realistically winning like seven or eight games is a is a certainly plausible uh, outcome. As Patriots fans, we hate to see that and we expect better and, and in Bill we trust and all that good stuff. But I do want to note that assuming football is played you know, at all levels as we fully hope and expect, 
this is a good little opportunity for BC to kind of carve out a, a piece of the New England football pie that they've always had such a you know difficult time getting an inroad of for anything you know for any non uh, BC alum or you know BC uh, community type. Folks. Are you copying off my list? I have the same thing written down. I actually, I, I swear to God, I'm not. But no, it's yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that this is like an excellent opportunity here. Halfway has made a point not, to lean not, into not it in all of his press conferences, being like, "Look, I know that this is a quote pro sports town, but that's only because that's what it's been, and there's no reason we can't change that." So I do think that if all of a sudden, you know, the, the Pats kind of, you know, start off, you know, one and three or something like that, it's, hey, what, what other football options do we have in town? OBC yeah. started out six and oh, let's let's roll with that. Plus the Red Sox, the Red Sox trailer by Mookie, they, they gave up. I mean, this is this fall could be an interesting time to, you know, it, it's sort of BC's for the taking if they and it's not going to happen year one, probably. Right. But, you know, in the next few years, if they rip off like an eight, no, like Matt Ryan did back in, you know, 12 years ago. You know, By the way, could that have can... happened at a worse time, like in terms of the Boston yeah. sports landscape? <laughs> Not only so when they when they had the Vatek win, uh, the Lane Stadium goes silent. Sox were playing in the World Series, I think that same night or, or the next day, but they were in the World Series at that point. No, it was the same night. Okay, same night, even better, and it was middle of the of the Patriots' perfect season. So you had basically the two biggest stories in New England sports. You know, two of the biggest stories in New England sports over the last 20 years happening at the same time, and you know, meanwhile, the BC one's going to get you know swept under the rug every single uh, every single time. There, it's also mid big three Celtics as well. So, just a terrible time. So, hopefully, this will go better when when Halfley puts it all together here. Yeah, hundred percent. And just just to close it out on the draft, I know there's a couple guys floating around still, and I don't think all the news has, has fully passed as far as you know guys catching on to other teams. You know, we saw last year that. You know, while we only had four or five guys drafted, there was an additional five or six that caught on to teams. And you talk about, I don't know, Jeff Smith, Mike Walker come to mind, guys like that, and Connor Strahan, and like have actually contributed and made the team and, you know, got reps in, in, in game. So, you know, you talk about guys like, I don't know, Tana Carafa, John Phillips, a few other guys like that that could certainly latch on to other teams as well um, as the offseason progresses. Yeah, and this was circulating on Twitter as well. Um, but the idea that because of all the uncertainty, you know, coaches and staff couldn't do the same number of visits or meetings that they you know normally would like to do with, with all of their uh, prospects. So this really will be a big year, I would say, for undrafted free agents because it, it was probably very easy for you know, NFL GMs just say, you know what, look, hey, let's just default with, you know, guys from the SEC or these kind of big name programs rather than doing their diligence on a guy like, you know, Phillips, for example, um, and really kind of diving into, you know, kind of these diamonds in the rough. So I do think that you're going to see a higher number of people who are brought on as undrafted free agents, whether that's Burt or other guys catching on to a roster rather than, you know, kind of deferring to the guys who you actually drafted. I don't see a world where Ben Glines doesn't become a Patriot at some point. Seems like it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. Again, unless, unless you know, they're trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence, which would suck. He's such a good quarterback, but I, I just, I hate him so much, and I don't want to have or, to root for him for the next 20 years. Or maybe they're tanking for Denny Grissel. <laughs> it could be, could be that, Matt. Could be that. Matt, do you want to talk hoops for five minutes and that's it? Uh, yeah, that's about all I can stand at this point. And then that's it. Then I'm boycotting. So yeah. why don't you go and then I won't add anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll kind of get in front of it and apologize for our incorrect report. So for those who missed it, we reported this was, I think, the week the weekend before the ACC tournament started and then didn't finish. Uh, we got it on excellent authority from a very high-level donor that 
the donor leadership team was going around and talking to donors and, and saying what we said earlier about how you know MJ has convinced Leahy to see the light on athletics and invest. And a piece of that was that JC was was finally going to be relieved of his duties and we were actually going to get serious with practice facilities and with all that other stuff. So we tweeted it. Um, it got picked up by uh, a number of folks, including Sean McDonough, who referenced it on the ACC broadcast of our first game, which obviously we lost. And uh, he basically called, he basically said it was not true based on his discussions with Jarmon. Well, but, yeah, Jar- Jarmon said that was completely right. not true. But right? I, we honestly, we, we, we fully stand by our reporting at the time. And, and I believe that was the story. And then, you know, COVID happened. And I think at that point it was like, well, we can't be interviewing a guy in person. You know, we the we can't be interviewing a new staff in person. We can't have a guy going and trying to, uh, you know, recruit transfers, things like that. So it's just easier just to kind of stick with the status quo. And JC is still here. So while our report was wrong, and I apologize for that because I know we got everyone's well, hopes up, I stand by our report, and I think it only was wrong because of the fact that COVID happened when it happened. Right. Exactly. You look at our track record too. We've, we've been pretty good. We don't break news unless we're pretty confident in it. So um, obviously that one got away from us, but I think it was due to a lot of other factors. Um, this is the last time I'll talk about basketball. I don't think we should you know, give any uh, coverage of them whatsoever until they get serious, in my personal opinion. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just going to continue my boycott. I, no, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go on a quick rant. I cannot believe that if you go 25 and 85, you get a seventh year on the job of getting one paid one point five million. It is so it's it's insanity. It really is. It's insanity. There's nothing else to and, say. And and I understand. I fully understand. Believe me. The all the stuff that is going on with higher education. The uncertainty. Is there going to be football? Uh, obviously, football funds all the other programs. College is taking a huge loss right now. There's a lot of financial uncertainty going on. ADs have to prepare for that. I fully understand that. But we saw what Wake did. Right. You you can only use that excuse so long. The, the, the Wake, uh, as of last week or two weeks ago, Wake officially fired Danny Manning. Obviously, he has like a $15 million buyout, something insane like that. But, you know, the, the Wake AD said, listen, we're not going to do this again. And we, we already know what we have. And, and by the way, they made a tournament at one point, which is already better than, than JC. Um, they got their guy, the East Tennessee State coach, Steve Forbes, who I guarantee, I guarantee Matt will be a stud for them. Yep. Would have been a stud at BC. Yep. But, uh, but, you know, here we are. So... That's it. I'm done. Uh, we, we got a bunch of grad transfers. You know, that's great. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe we'll win 12 games next year, maybe 13, might, maybe 14. Matt. I don't know. Who's to say? Um, but we just, until we get serious about making a tournament, there's really no use in covering them. So we're going to be the football guys, and we'll keep doing that, and it is what it is. Yeah, I also want to just dispel kind of a talking point as well. And I think we did see this a little bit or out of, you know, your perspective uh, on the Adazio front last year as well. But it does seem like, whether this is just BC, I assume this happens at all fan bases, but it almost is like, you know, when guys kind of dig their feet into the existing coach, they kind of develop almost a tribal mentality of like, well, you're either with us or against us. If you don't think, you know, JC's the guy or you're unhappy with this, then you're rooting for this program to fail. I know you felt that way with Adazio. You basically thought that everyone who thought he should be out was like the Antichrist. So, well, let's be clear. Let's be clear. I mean, Steve Adazio was an average football coach. Jim Christian is one of, has one of the Again, worst winning Matt, percentages. I don't, I don't want to go back down this road. You're correct. He, I don't want to go back down this road. He has one of the worst winning percentages in ACC ba- right. in the, basketball and organized sports history. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm saying that I don't 
again, the notion we all want this team to be to be awesome. Nothing would please us more than if they run the table next year, their number one overall seed, whatever, under Jim Christian, and then we give him a hundred million dollar extension. I'll be thrilled at that. The notion that we just say, look, he's just not the guy for the job. That does no way means that we're you know rooting against the program or don't want the program to succeed or rooting for the program to lose on a nightly basis so that he officially um, you know gets out of here. So I just wanted to I want to kind of bring that talking point up because I did see that especially you know as the uh, ship continued to sink towards the end of the year. Again, we're bringing in some some good recruits next year. That has meant nothing over the course course of the previous <laughs> seven seven years. Maybe this one will right. be different. We've had good recruits. Uh, we've we've had excellent recruits. Our guy Hamilton, who was an excellent recruit, is now gone. Um, but you know, even with Rob, two NBA players, Bowman was you know having a, a very solid year in Golden State before everything was shut down. It just doesn't matter. So uh, I'm with you. It does not matter. There's no point in really getting worked up about it personally. I think when it came out that he was going to stick around, I was obviously disappointed, but I was also kind of just numb. It's like it just at this point, what are we getting our hopes up for? It is what it is. And and until something changes, it's just you can't really get enthusiastic about it either way. Agree. All right. So we will, uh, we're done talking hoops until until something happens. Um, but we're going to stick to football. Well, let me um, just one, one quick note. I do want to, uh, on the non football side of it, uh, the wor- not the worst part, one of the bad parts of the COVID thing is the fact that BC hockey was a shoe in for a national championship. That is probably the worst thing that's happened <laughs> so in the entire world. Started. The entire world. BC not winning another national hockey championship. No, this team was firing on all cylinders. Everyone knows, you know, we're big hockey guys. Everyone knows that. That's, and that's, that's uh, it was a shoe in again. I think you know the guys. They, they had saved their legs. Uh, they were really kind of you know grinding and, and you know diving in deep, um, doing a lot of wraparounds, one timers, things like that. And they were really that's, looking. That's, Thatcher Demko was a brick wall. In that. Yeah, no, they were skating. They were really, you know, they were they were hitting and, and kind of doing pass, all the shoot, right score. things. Yeah, it's a simple game, right? Pass, shoot, score. So uh, doing all the right things. And I think, again, from from our expert analysis, they were a lock for the national championship. Get Jerry another star on those jerseys. But I guess it's another year uh, that we need to wait. Right. People forget, by the way, that I did score the game-winning goal in the 2013 uh, intramural hockey championships. So it doesn't get talked about enough. No, it does not. Uh, Last thing I want to bring up here, obviously, COVID-19 is in the news everywhere. And while we don't want to, you know, necessarily go into detail like all the, the you know, the news are, um, we do want to talk a little bit about what the likelihood is, just a little bit, just speculatively. Um, obviously, you know, you and I and everyone that listens want football back more than anything, right? And, you know, with the cancellation of March Madness and then, you know, the, the last couple of months have been no sports. It's been... It's been tough for all of us that, you know, rely on sports and maybe have a gambling problem. I don't know. Um, but, you know, obviously at this point, it's tough to tell what the future holds. Who knows if we're going to end up having a season. Um, you know, it sounds like there's a consensus amongst the experts, the conference leaders, uh, the ADs, the coaches, etc. That trading camp needs to start by mid-July um, just for player safety reasons. These guys got to get tuned up back into football shape. So, you know, what does that mean specifically for BC? It's tough to say, right? I mean, with with Marty Walsh coming out yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah. Where he said basically, you know, no gatherings till September. Yeah, I want to I wanna touch on that. It, it was, I would say, intentionally a vague statement from Marty there. Um, I think he said festivals and parades, I think was the official use that he, or, you know, verbiage that he used. Does Here's tailgating fit, fit into that bucket? Pro- probably it does. And that's through Labor Day. So the, the only game that would be affected by that, order uh is syracuse 
the fact of the matter is that if the I think a common MLB talking point or, you know, rumor has been that the plan will be starting in, I don't know whether it was like mid July or whatever, they're going to play home. You know, everyone's home games are going to actually be in their stadium rather than the whole Arizona bubble approach or spring training, whatever. There is no way on planet earth that Walsh comes out and says, Hey, Sox, you guys can't play at Fenway, even with no fans, whatever. So I think that sporting events are still are not, you know, by any means kind of killed. I do think that just in general, there will be no fans at BC games, at least if not at every game across the country, but like the SEC, like, I just don't think they know any better to be completely honest. Uh, so I, you know, you know, what the, you know what's funny about the SEC is they just, they have no adults down r- south. No, they're just more No offense. They're just well, no, morons. No, 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 no. I disagree. I just, but yeah, they're, all right. but they're like, they're like you and me where it's like, all right, I, I get that it's a big issue. But we just we need college football, so let's make it happen. And well, there's no nothing adults. else to live for, but yeah. But 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 it's like in Boston, you have adults in the room that be like, "Hey, guys, college football doesn't really matter." Whereas down south, the guys that are making the decisions are also huge college football fans, right? So there's like it's, it's just funny how that works. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I think I really do think the the best case is is football without fans at this point. It is in if we have a full schedule without fans. Jarmon again on that donor call chimed in and basically say that. Uh, all of the uh, ACC ADs are having bi-weekly. Does bi-weekly mean twice a week or once every other week? It actually, it's funny, Matt. It can actually mean both depending okay. on the context. So he's having the version of two calls per week rather than every other week. So he's having uh, two calls per week with all of the other ACC athletic directors just to basically talk. And they say basically football is without, you know, it's obvious, it's, it, I think we'd all guess, but football is the main talking point about what the season is going to look like. Martin said, and this was on what Tuesday, I think he said uh, he is very confident that football will be played, you know, as scheduled as expected come the fall. He obviously caveated that with, you know, we're, we're certainly exploring backup uh, plans or contingencies, whatever. So it's by no means a sure thing. I'll also say there's just so much uncertainty coming out of every camp. I think uh, the NCAA president came out yesterday and said something along the lines of, or, or this was kind of the, the story in the past couple weeks. He's like, if regular students are not on campus, we're not going to play football. But then other you know conference commissioners have come out, I'd say in, in kind of the week since then, and been like, we can do online classes for all of our regular students and just bring the football players on, quarantine them, test them, same way they're going to do it for the NBA, NHL, whenever that comes back, and just have them play, no fans, you know, whatever, which I think would work as well. So I think that at the end of the day, the money is what's going to drive all of this. There is too much money involved at all of these schools from uh, TV rights and just everything else that comes with it. The reality is that if we don't have a football season, schools will have severe financial uh, fallout that comes from it, whether that's canceling programs, whether that's furloughing athletic department staff, or even furloughing professors and kind of, you know, other wider reaching. And all that's already happened, by the way, just give, just given March Madness being canceled. Yeah, exactly. So this is like, this is a windfall they can they cannot avoid. So I really do think that they will find a way to make it work. I hope it's a full schedule as planned. I could see it being, you know, ignoring non-conference games, something like that, which you know, to be honest, for, for BC wouldn't be like the end of the world. It's not like we have an amazing non-conference slate this year. It's I would like our Kansas revenge and Purdue revenge for that matter. But um, you know, if we just have to shorten it, I just I need I need Halfley to be leading the guys out in the field. I don't care if there's no one in the stands. I don't care if it's just students. I don't care whatever. Uh, we just need something to watch come come September October. Yeah, and to that point, I, I saw it was a, a SportsIllustrated.com article, and there's a really jarring stat where yeah, you know, they looked at the Big Ten in particular. And on average, schools make $43 million from football. They make about $8.6 million from basketball. And then all other sports lose a combined $22.9 million. Right. So it sort of illustrates, you know, if there is a way that football can happen, it will happen. Um, it just obviously depends on a number of factors. If 
Um, you know, the, the curve has been flattened if testing's available everywhere. Um, maybe somewhere from, you know, f- from someone takes a half-court shot at a vaccine and, you know, all of a sudden it becomes available. I probably don't see that happening, knowing how that industry works. Um, but you never know, right? So, uh, to me, obviously the affected areas are, are Boston, uh, you know, New Jersey and Chicago, California. I mean, I could see a, a world where the SEC, it's business as usual, right? And then... It's, you know, you have college football except for BC, Rutgers, Syracuse, know, maybe Northwestern. Yeah, right. yeah. I, yeah, Syracuse, are they far enough away from from? I mean, they are, but they, they certainly are. And I think Cuomo's come out and said that he's going to be reopening the state at kind of different levels depending on where everything's located. But I still feel like being like, hey, you know, you can't have how I mean, I know they have a 60,000 person stadium. You only get like 6,000. But right. But it's indoor the point. Right. I think that so makes it I, worse, Matt. It, it actually. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe some California schools get left out. UConn yeah. probably, you know, get shut down, right? But that yeah, that wouldn't make that a difference one doesn't on their, matter, on their right? doesn't yeah. make a difference on their win total, right? Um, but I don't know. And that would be I was gonna say that could be our worst nightmare, but I guess we'd rather have some football, even if PC is not participating. I guess it would just, I mean um, it would be, obviously have yeah. terrible ramifications even from like a recruiting perspective, decommits, transfers, right. all that stuff. But yeah, I mean the the, the 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 I don't know. The bottom line is that, you know, I think that to be clear, safety comes above anything else. And, you know, I'm glad we don't have someone like Brian Kelly, for example, making these decisions because clearly we'd already be kind of gearing up for spring football. We wouldn't miss the beat. He doesn't care about safety of, of those who are kind of our, our cogs in the football machine. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there are, to your point, there are adults in the room who hopefully are making the right decisions. Safety is, is paramount, not only for the players, but, um, you know, for, for kind of everyone in the coaching room and all the staffs and all that. But, yeah, I, I, it will be devastating if, if, if we do not get the Halfley era starting in September, as I think we've been so badly looking forward to uh, for the past yeah. few months. And as we mentioned, I mean, this does impact BC probably more so. Just, you know, having spring practice canceled, the spring game canceled, summer practices canceled. You know, there's only so much you can do at home. You, know, you can do you see the BC players getting their workouts in and um, you can study the playbook and watch film. But outside of that, it's it really comes down to, you know, live ball reps and practice for Halfley to figure out a what he's got and B, you know, by the way, install brand new offense, overhaul the defense, etc. So um, even if there is a season. I think BC fans should temper their expectations. We certainly will not. We will not. Nope. Um, we, we, will not. we are on the road to 10 and 2. Spoiler alert. At probably. least. No, come on. I, I think that might be a little low, but yeah. All right. Ten, maybe 11 and 1. We'll see. Uh, more to come on that. But, um, you know, especially with, with Djurkovic, like we touched on, I mean, there's just a lot of moving pieces here with the new coaching staff. So um, it's already, you know, had large ramifications, assuming best case there is a football season. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch for. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's an uncertain time, and and clearly, in the grand scheme of things, football and sports in general are obviously not as important as you know the health of the greater good and the, and the hospital workers and all that stuff. But for sanity alone, uh, having something to come back would be great. Again, we got Korean baseball already, which is something of a positive light. And then there seems like a rumor every day that you know the MLB has a different plan to come back, NBA next, whatever. We got UFC today. I'm not a UFC guy at all. I'm a boxing no. guy. I'm more of a sweet science guy. But yeah, if you're into We've that stuff. Doing- We've been doing a lot of horses. Yeah, uh, a lot got, of horses. Yep, a got, lot of horses. We got, we got NASCAR coming back next week, so I'm worried I'm going to go down a rabbit hole on that. Right. Uh, that could be a long-term problem, gambling-wise. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that 
you know, our, our thoughts are with the first responders and, and you know, all, all everyone that's been affected by COVID. And obviously we're a, we're a jokey podcast, so um, we're not making light of anything. We are just trying to give, uh, you know, trying to talk football for an hour and hopefully distract you guys from all the bad stuff that's going on. Um, we will look to get to a more regular recording schedule going forward. Probably won't be every week, but, you know, every few weeks probably. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that. But, you know, we're going to plow ahead as if there is a football season upcoming. Yeah, I agree. And then the other thing I do just want to plug quickly here while we're talking about, you know, missing competition, missing sports. It is not too late to binge uh, season 40 of Survivor Winners at War. No, Matt, Matt, So Matt, they've taken winners. They've taken 20 winners from previous seasons. And now it's, again, the 40 season. It's a big deal. The finale, the three-hour finale, is on Wednesday night. Uh, so far throughout the first a few episodes or 15 episodes. I think it's like 10 hours of, of TV runtime. So you yeah, absolutely you can binge it, it before Wednesday lost, night. It's phenomenal. Okay. It's phenomenal. And again, if you're, if you're looking for your competition, I, I can't, can't recommend that enough. So I just had to, had to mention that there. Let's, let's, let's do a test. If you are a survivor fan, shoot us a DM at fourth and dude, and we'll just get a number of how many people actually care about every time Matt talks about Survivor. Okay, I, I'm going to continue. And to Matt, do it. if the number's less than five, then we shut it down. Okay, I mean, I, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be a part of that study. I'm going to continue <laughs> to talk about it. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's all I have. Uh, again, stay safe, everyone. Matt, possibly some special guests coming if we do get on a recurring schedule here. We've had some interest from some uh, some interesting folks who I think could provide uh, some insight that you and I might not necessarily have. So stay tuned yeah. for that. We got a couple people um, on the docket for the, I guess in the in the long term. I don't know if it'll be how soon it will be. It might be soon. Who knows? Um, but that was something that people have uh, said to us: is Hey, it'd be great if you guys could get some some guests. You know, simple because- Matt, again, just you know, some Saturday beers, just kind of hanging out. Maybe right. we have the horse races on in the background, just kind of kicking back, talking Eagles. I think that's uh, I think that's a, a a healthy you know healthy diet for us to put into uh, put into effect. Yeah, remember when Patty Tolls came on? That was that was one of our best episodes. It, it was that excellent. Was, yeah, he's no longer on Twitter, the by the way. I miss him, but he is. Yeah, <laughs> so hope he's, hope, he's, hope he's doing well. Yeah, all right. Um, all right, anything else? you want to close this out? No, that's it. Yeah, thanks again for listening. Uh, again, thanks to our friends at Armchair Media and Boston College 247. I, I can't – I know we say this every time we record. I can't recommend the guys at 247 enough. It's, I think, $10 a month, which is an absolute steal. They have by far the best insider BC information you can possibly find, especially as the recruiting season is is getting as on fire as it has been. Uh, Tyler and Adam have just been doing phenomenal uh, recaps and kind of keeping everyone up to speed over there. And just a really good message board as well. Uh, very very uh, productive message board. A lot of our, uh, a lot of the familiar faces you see on BC Twitter are chiming in over there. Shout out to our guy for Bloxton um, and, and, you know, everyone else out there. So highly recommend that. It's the best $10 you're going to spend every month. Um, but that's all I have. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, stay safe and get in, folks.